hope you brought your Bible. If you did, please turn with me to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can pull it up on your phone or some other device you might have with you. If you're new to Redeemer, we love the Bible. We believe it's God's Word, that it's true, and that it's for us. And so we seek to tether all that we do to the Scriptures. And we're going through the book of Acts these days, and we're in chapter 12. The book of Acts is about the spread of the church. The Jesus having lived and died and risen for us, then ascended into heaven and sent His Spirit to indwell His people, to empower them for godly living and for bold witness. And the book of Acts 1, chapters 1 and 2, shows the birth of the church as the Spirit comes and Peter preaches and 3,000 believe. And then as it moves along in 3, 4, 5, 6, we see the church expanding within Jerusalem. And then later parts of chapter 6 and 7, 8 and 9, we see it extend outside of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, even up into Galilee. And over the last couple of weeks in this section, in chapters 10 and 11, we've seen it go even further. Not just to the Jews, not just to the Samaritans, but in full force to the Gentiles. As thousands, apparently, come to faith in Jesus way up in Antioch. And as we continue through the book, the gospel is going to go even further into Asia Minor and all around the Aegean Sea and finally all the way to Rome. But in chapter 12, begin like this. As God's purposes prevail, Satan's attacks intensify. As God's purposes prevail, Satan's attacks intensify. If you've been with us, this has been one of the themes. As the gospel began to take root in Jerusalem, as Jesus ascended and sent His Spirit and Peter and John began to preach, the authorities seized them, brought them in, interrogated them, and then released them, but not without warning them. Don't preach in this name anymore or else. They left, got their friends together, prayed, and God gave them boldness to continue preaching. And as they did, they filled the city of Jerusalem with their message. And the authorities didn't just seize Peter and John, but apparently all of the apostles brought them in, interrogated them, told them, we told you to quit preaching in this name. And yet you have filled this city with your teaching. And rather than simply warn them and let them go, this time they flogged them and let them go going to put an end to this. So they beat them, flogged them over and over and over again. Of course, they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake, and they continued preaching Christ. As the story goes on, the church readies itself to take the gospel even further outside Jerusalem, empowered by God's presence, who has always been with his people wherever they go, and as they leave Jerusalem, the Spirit of God is going to go with them as well. And Satan 
trying to put a stop to it. It takes one of the main spokesmen at that time named Stephen. And he is seized. And he is not just simply warned. and He's not simply flogged. They stone him to death. If warnings won't work, if floggings won't work, we'll kill you. And yet, the church keeps moving. And it continues to grow outside of Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even into Galilee. And as it does, there is Saul breathing out threats ravaging the church. Later he would say his intentions were to destroy it. And now we come, and God is pushing his church even further as he, in chapter 10, shows Peter his vision to eat those unclean animals, and he refuses, and God says, listen, I've cleansed them. And Peter begins to understand the message that nobody is to be considered unclean. As he takes the gospel to Cornelius, the Gentile, and Cornelius' family and friends, the Gentiles. And as the church in Jerusalem wrestles with this, Peter, what are you doing? And he recounts what God is up to. And they come to their conclusion, God is taking the gospel to the Gentiles also. And then the very next paragraph we saw last week, a church in Antioch is planted 300 miles north of Jerusalem. You can warn us and we won't stop. You can flog us and we won't stop. You can kill Stephen and you won't stop. Now what's going to happen? Now that great multitudes, in verse 21 of chapter 11, a large number who believe turned to the Lord, and in verse 24, in considerable numbers, were brought to the Lord. And in verse 26, for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers in Antioch. What's going to happen now? As God's purposes prevail, Satan's attacks intensify. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. The Greek phrase there is, reads like this. Now about that time, Herod the king laid evil hands on some who belonged to the church. Violent hands. That's why the New American Standard interprets it, translates it. Some who belonged to, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. This is the grandson of Herod the Great. Who, when Jesus Christ was born, grew so threatened as the Magi came and said, we're looking for him who was born king of the Jews. He was so threatened by that, he sought to put an end to it and had all of those babies killed in order to try and stamp out God's purposes through the Messiah. This is his grandson. About that time, Herod the Great laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. 
If you're keeping score, this is the first apostle to go down. We're not just going to warn the apostles. We're not just going to flog the apostles. We're not just going to take Stephen, who was one of those servants appointed in chapter 6, and have him killed. We're going to up the ante now. We're going to take James, the brother of John, the two sons of thunder, and we're going to most likely behead him. Verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Most likely what is intended, to bring him out before the people, try him and kill him too. Satan, through Herod, is, is intensifying his attacks. Things were progressing so well. Things seemed to be going wonderfully. The Gentiles also are receiving the gospel. Hundreds, if not thousands, are being brought to faith up in Antioch. This is awesome. But as that is happening, here's the counterattack we're going to kill James. We're going to arrest Peter with the intention of killing him too. And Satan's apparent success can lead to discouragement, huh? A couple of things here in verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is that period of time right after Passover. Passover and unleavened bread, they, they somewhat went together. Who else was seized by the authorities at the time of Passover and unleavened bread and was crucified? Of course, it was Jesus. And some think this detail is added to give that sense of foreboding. The clouds are moving in. James is dead. Peter's in prison. It's the time of unleavened bread. And that hearkens up memories of our Savior who was crucified. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's 16 soldiers, four at a time on three-hour shifts. Peter's in the prison. One of these soldiers is chained to his right arm. Another is chained to his left arm. And two others are right outside the door. Seemingly, this is it. 
There is no escape. There is no hope. It's over. James is dead and Peter's next. Church in verse 5 is praying. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. They were at their wit's end, maybe. Nothing else to do but to pray. Ever been there? You're seemingly making progress. As you seek to follow Jesus, only to see those plans, those longings, that progress slowed, halted, reversed, moving in the wrong direction. Things were so exciting at the end of chapter 11. The Gentiles also. Let's go to Antioch. Large numbers, large numbers, large numbers. And when the church in Jerusalem was having a hard time, the, the church in Antioch, these Gentiles said, we can help them out. you got Jews and Gentiles in one body together. This is awesome. And then, bam. James is dead. Peter's in prison. He's locked up. He ain't getting out. The church is gathered together in Mary's home, doing the only thing they can, praying. We can lose heart. There's just a handful of verses to remind us of, of, of the possibility for the people of God to lose heart when seeming progress is slowed down, halted, or even reversed. Galatians chapter 6, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So Paul was writing to a group Christians there in Galatians who were losing heart for whatever reason. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verse 3, For consider Him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. They, this church that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they were predominantly Jewish, they had heard the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. They had left their Judaism behind. But in so doing, it led to suffering and persecution and imprisonment for some. And many of them were thinking about going back to Judaism. Going back to the old ways. Because it's a whole lot easier to be persecuted, to suffer, 
to lose your job, to lose your friends, to go to prison, possibly even to lose your life. They were losing heart. And part of what the author of Hebrews is, is, is saying is consider Jesus so you don't lose heart. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was talking about his own ministry and the suffering that he had to endure. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. Several verses later, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's possible to lose heart. It's possible to get discouraged. I mean, heck, James... Son of thunder. One of the apostles is dead. And Peter, if any of the twelve are the leader, it's him. And he's bound. And he ain't getting out. Or so they thought. God can turn things on a dime. All who oppose Him will meet their demise. And God's purposes will not be thwarted. Verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring Him forward, Peter was sleeping. If we have time, we'll come back to that. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. It's a little bit of a side note, but those of us who love some of the old hymns, probably from these couple of verses, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Pretty cool. This angel comes. Hey, Peter, get up. Verse 9, and he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that he, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And that's not out of the question. Back in chapter 10, right, this whole section is all about the vision that God gave him. But when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. We're kind of used to that, right? <laughs> Go to Home Depot and the doors open by themselves. Certainly Peter would not have been. And immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. 
When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. That's kind of funny. Wow, it's Peter. And didn't even let him in, just ran in. Said, hey, Peter's out front. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it's his angel. A couple of different ways. My old pastor... Tommy Nelson would, would, would take this and, po- and, and point out the, um, the incredible grace of God that he answers prayer even when we don't believe he's going to. And his assumption is, and it may well be founded, that they were gathered together and they were praying that God would miraculously deliver Peter. That God would intervene and God would get him out of that prison. And when God answered their prayer, they couldn't believe it. Oh, it's not Peter. You're out of your mind, girl. It's just his angel. And Tommy would encourage us in in that light. Say, was you're praying and you're struggling, you don't even know if you're just struggling. And we've all been there. You're praying for something, but you're not so sure God's going to do it. Yeah, you know, He's powerful enough, but you know, even then, God knows the heart of His people. And He heard their prayer and He answered it. That could be it. Or it could be. They weren't praying for his miraculous deliverance. Maybe they were, they, were, they were just praying for leniency. Maybe they were praying that Herod wouldn't go through with his intentions to kill Peter just as he had killed James. And so the idea that Peter would show up outside the door was just completely beyond which if that's it what an encouragement huh that god goes above and beyond what we could imagine or even think sometimes we're, pr- we're praying for this and god does that we're praying that herod would be lenient to peter and god delivers peter verse 16 peter continued knocking And when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Now, that's a different James, right? James the apostle has been killed. This is James the Lord's brother. Jesus had some brothers. And during his earthly life, they thought he was crazy. But after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us one of the people he appeared to was his brother James. And it radically changed James' life. He becomes one of the great leaders in the early church of Jerusalem. Report these things to James and the brethren. Then Peter left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. 
They woke up in the morning and they were like, where did he go? When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away. And the New American Standard adds to execution because that's probably the idea. These guards had lost this prized prisoner and they will lose their life for it. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. So God can change things on a dime. James is dead. Peter's in prison, wrapped up by all these soldiers. And yet in a night, God can turn it around. Let's watch what happens to Herod. Now he, verse 20, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. Kind of hard to keep up with. But Tyre and Sidon, they needed food from Galilee. And Herod controlled the food that came from Galilee to Tyre and Sidon. And Herod, for whatever reason, was upset with them. And they were really afraid that this is going to mess up our food supply. And so they went to Blastus, the king's chamberlain, somewhat maybe his personal chief of staff. Blastus, you've got to help us out here. We, we need Herod to, to be gracious to us, to be kind to us. We need this food. Maybe they had to give Blastus a little bit of money. That's the way it goes in politics sometimes, huh? Verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. Apparently what had happened is Blastus had gone to Herod and they had worked things out. And there was a celebration happening in Caesarea. And Herod was going to take this opportunity to address, among other things, at least this issue. and Maybe extol his own kindness to Tyre and Sidon. And so he puts on his royal apparel. And he begins to deliver this address to them. Josephus is a historian in the first century. And I meant to bring a book and read it to you, and I forgot, left it in my office. Josephus, who's not a Christian, talks about this particular occurrence. And he says that the robe that Herod had on was made of silver. And as he recounts it, that Herod came out, and with the rising sun, it shined upon his royal robes, in such a way that he would have just absolutely looked brilliant to the crowd. And that as he came out and he's shining in the sun and as he's addressing them, the people in particular of Tyre and Sidon are extolling him and his greatness. That he's not just a man, no, he's a God. Verse 22, the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. Josephus records that this is what happened. 
And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Josephus tells us that as he was speaking, he saw an owl that was a foreboding sign to him. And indeed, as he was speaking, began to get sick in his stomach and over the next five days was sick until he died. Luke tells us it was the angel of the Lord who struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. The proud one perished. The exalted one is extinguished. Jesus said, he who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. beginning of this chapter, Herod has James killed, Peter in prison. He's on a rampage. By the end of this chapter, Peter is free, Herod is dead, and look what's on a rampage. Verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. The word of God prevailed again. Every step along the way, as God's purposes are, are being worked out, there's opposition. And yet, God's purposes cannot and will not be thwarted. His purposes are unstoppable. He is able to change things on a dime. Seemingly, with the snap of his fingers, things can turn around. Remember again how the chapter opens with such a, the dark clouds. James dead, Peter in prison, no hope, church praying. Bam! Peter's released, Herod is dead, and the Word of God keeps on going. This morning it reminded me of Revelation chapter 20. As we get to the end of time, and there's one final rebellion against God and His ways. Satan trying to stop God and his purposes. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. Oh no. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. It's like God just, whenever he wants to, can just flick Satan. And his opposing purposes. I don't have much time, but I want to share this with you. I always love when I get these aha moments. I love a mighty fortress is our God. We sang it last week. Um, There's a, there's a phrase in there that I, I've, I haven't always been sure exactly what it means. And you have to do a little exegesis on it. You have to kind of study it and figure it out. And, and I really never could until studying for this. Remember where it, it says, One little word, but still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide 
our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath, hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His wrath we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. There's, there's differences of opinion on what Luther meant by that. One little word shall fell him. Some think it's that idea of Revelation 20. Just one little word. But then the next phrase. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. I didn't know how to put the syntax together on that thing. That word above all earthly powers, the earthly powers that try to thwart God's purposes. For all the thousands of years of human history, and in our case, for the last 2,000 years of the gospel cause around the world. That word, that word of God, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, that word, that, that gospel, it abides. I never knew to put abideth with that word. So the phrase always confused me a bit. That word, above all the earthly powers that would try to oppose him and his purposes. No thanks to them, because they're, they're against his purposes. They want to stop what he's doing. No matter, because that word abideth. Satan can have his ways. But you get to the end of this story, and Herod is dead. And the word of God is increasing and multiplying. So it's time to go. You and I are on a winning team. Your faithfulness to Jesus and mine will matter for eternity. The church will stand the test of time. Revelation eleven fifteen: 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. That's talking of a future day, but it's a coming. So when we are discouraged, When we are losing heart, maybe a text like this can encourage us. We're on a winning team. The way he works out his purposes, we don't always know. James dies. Peter lives, at least for a while. He'll eventually give his life on a cross upside down for Jesus. 
We don't know when. We don't know how. But God's purposes are going to prevail. His enemies will be judged, and His word will keep a-going. In the meantime, quickly, maybe what we can do is we can sleep. His good buddy James has just been beheaded. He's in prison. He knows what's coming. You remember somebody else who was in the midst of a storm? Sleeping. Jesus. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. How can you sleep? We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When things are intensifying, when progress is slowing or halted or reversing, may God give us the grace to, to trust, to wait. Secondly, we can pray. Even though we don't know exactly God's will in the matter, they were praying. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. The end of verse 12, he went to Mary's house where many were gathered together and were praying. And we can trust. Nothing's going to happen outside the wise will of our Heavenly Father to whom alone belongs the glory. Herod did not give God the glory. We don't lose heart. By God's grace, we don't give up. We trust. Let's pray. Lord, many of us, if not all of us, or in some bit of discouraging situation, or at least could be discouraged, could be losing heart, could be um, flirting with going back to the old ways. Because the circumstances around us would just say, that's, the, that's what to do. Would you help us not? Help us trust pray knowing that you can turn things around in a moment maybe you will maybe you won't in our circumstances we're not sure but you can and you're worthy to be trusted and your will will prevail your purposes will not be thwarted how awesome Lord help us to live with that sense of confidence and optimism that our great God is in control. And Lord, I'll just return to pray for any who are here today that maybe don't know of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Not through their own good efforts, but through admitting God is great and they are a sinner and they need a Savior and turning away from themselves and away from their sins, they would, they would turn to Jesus and trust in him. God, would you 
Would you work in their hearts even right now to believe, to trust in Jesus Christ? And we will pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.